start off right Lord God just thank you for this morning Lord Jesus we ask that you would be with us um, may your presence just fall in this place thank you Lord uh, for who you are Father God and thank you for the breath and air in our lungs Father God may it just be glorifying to you in your name amen so um, just a fun fact for you guys before you got, uh, before we start um, and this is a weird fun fact but um, I love cooking and you know watching different shows and stuff like that. And this week, I saw something interesting. There was this um, restaurant in Melbourne, Australia, right, in the suburbs. And it's a little house, like, on a farm. Um, and they do mostly Indian cuisine, but they're world famous, right? And it's just one lady, and she has another chef. And the waiting list for this restaurant is 16,000 people. And it takes about six months to a year to get a place at the restaurant. And the restaurant name is In Through the Laundry Room. And the reason, the reason why you name that is because when you enter in, it's her house. And you, you go through her laundry room. And then you go into her kitchen. And she cooks you this amazing meal. The restaurant only serves 10 people a week. 10 people for the week, right? When I heard that, I was like, what? But then also, I heard it and I was like, it's all about the value you put on what you do, right? And how you choose to glorify the Lord adds more value to that. And she's just chose to value what she does. She does that such a high level that she can afford to just serve 10 people a week, right? And the waiting list be so extensive because the food is so good. So there's a fun fact for you guys, right? <laughs> this morning, um, I'll be sharing with you guys just a little bit um, of my story and really talking about the calling and um, what the Lord has spoken over my life and how sometimes you know we can walk through that and not really realize that the picture we had for it just wasn't what he spoke originally, right? So before I start off, uh, I figured I would introduce you guys to my family and just show you kind of, you know, where I come from. So that's my ma, right? This is my ma, from this Enya, right? Um, she is 51 years old, um, and she has four kids, right? Would have had five. There was a boy before me, but passed away, um, born, and... He was dead when he was born, so, you know. Um, yeah, she loves cooking. That's where I got my love of cooking from. Um, and she has such a huge heart to help people, right? Next one, that's my sister, right? No, the same picture, right? That's my sister. Uh, she's the oldest of the four of us. She's 34, and she has two kids, right? She has two sons. She has uh, Terrence, uh, he is 10, and then she has Elijah, who is two, right? And he's just a ball of energy. She's the only girl, so she was baby most of growing up, right? And so she done made a baby, she's still a baby now, right? 
Uh, next picture. All right, the one uh, the pattern shirt, that's my older brother, right? Uh, so he's after my sister. He is 31, right? And he has a little daughter, Amari, right? Growing up, because about between age eight to about age 11, I don't quite remember exactly, but my mom and my pa split, right? And my family out of the house. So he done me like dad growing up, plus, you know, my big brother. He done the one the father does look to, you know, talk to, uh, talk about stuff and, you know, stuff like that. Up to now, that's still our relationship and we've just grown closer, you know, over the years. Uh, next one, in a block, that I'm a twin, right? Um, no, that's not my twin, that's me, right? Everybody look kind of, <laughs> right? Um, I'm the third one, right? I'm the third one uh, in the family, right? I'm 26. Um, so I'm basically like the middle child, if you will call it that, right? The one with the hat and the blue shirt, that I'm a Lee brother, right? He had a real baby, so he take, he take my sister place, right? He take my sister place eventually. Um, and then that's my brother-in-law at the end, and that's my nephew Terence right there, right? So growing up, uh, you could just cut to a um, background, Woody. That's it for now. So growing up, you know, with my family and me being the middle child, right? Like I just pull out my notes real quick. Yeah, so growing up with my family and me being the middle child of the family, Someone already know kind of what that like, right? Or if I don't know what that, that, what that like, then I could explain to him, right? But all I knew was doing everything for everyone else. I never knew um, or like had a set identity of this is me and, you know, I have my plans and my things. Everything that me, okay, I will please people because this is how I chose or this uh, is uh, what I thought my identity was, was pleasing people and getting my validation from doing stuff for other people as opposed to, you know, having my own thing. And this, uh, this would go on and it would make it hard for me to do stuff, not just for myself, because I would even put people at the expense of my own self, right? So sacrificing my time, sacrificing what I want to do in order to please other people. Something to play in my background? Okay. <laughs> right? At my own expense. And so I had that mentality, and I didn't really know what a calling was per se, or even like God, that God had a plan for your life. Because all I knew was everyone before me. And I never knew that God cared about what I cared about, right? I never knew that God uh, wanted to hear my ideas, my plans. And that kind of pushed me down this dark road, right? That pushed me down this dark road, and it began depression in my life, right? And this, uh, I would have said 2014-ish, coming out of high school and then coming to here. Right? And so imagine coming out of that environment and then coming into this environment whereby you hear people tell you there are amazing things and people they tell you God have a plan for your life and God have a calling over your life, but still really feeling like that can't be me. 
that just can't be me, right? That, that can't be the person that I think you're talking about. And that may a drastic change and that may something quite strange to me. So instantly survivor instinct kick in and all I may know how to do to preserve me was do what I already know, right? Just try please people to the best of my ability and try uh, earn that love and gain that love, you know, through working instead of just, you know, being, right? And accepting that that love would come to me. And I remember that the end of, uh, so during, during my first time, my first couple of years here, I did discipleship. During that discipleship, they had three phases, right? They had a lecture phase, um, they had outreach phase, and they had an internship phase. And through all of that, God kept speaking to me to stay. Every time he would say, stay, stay, stay. And people would confirm that, and these amazing words would be coming from people, right? And I'm in the midst of just uh, depression, and I said, okay, God, I still have to take a step towards this. And I remember specifically that at the end of the internship phase, God spoke to me very clearly, and it got confirmed in one night about five or six times, right? And then in the week to come, it got confirmed more and more and more. He spoke to me, and he said, stay, and you are to be raised up by John and Lisa, and you are going to raise up and father the next generation, right? Instantly, in my mind, this is the way I picture. I hate long pants, right? So, like with a passion, I don't like long pants. Instantly, in my mind, this is what I picture. I picture me in front of a crowd of people, the preach, long pants, button-up shirt, and I said, man, I said, man, God, down on me? I said, down on me? What do you mean, what do you mean I'm supposed to stay and you know, do this. That way I picture, right? And so I had, I had this idea of what it would look like and, and what this calling would look like and what the vision that he has laid before me would look like. And, hold on just like a petrol part, I guess, right? So I had this idea and this calling and what it would look like, but with that in mind, I said, well, our prepared faith out of how I know how to prepare faith. And so I started reading the word a lot. And this time in the midst of this whole depression thing, right? I started reading the word a lot and I would get attack, um, anxiety attack, uh, bad dreams, uh, the, whatever you could think, I would just get attack and attack. And over a while they start build up and they start build up. Just a word of advice, if you ever go through something and you think people don't know, they know. They absolutely know, right? Because it show up on you. And the first person to notice it, or I would have said everybody notice it, that I'm in this dark hole, the first person up pulled me aside and had a conversation with me to say, what, what's this, what are you going through, was Mercedes, right? Mercedes pulled me aside, and because I had just come on, on staff after the internship, Mercedes pulled me aside, and the initial the initial uh, intent for this meeting was to say, you to get rents, like, you, you gotta go. This was the initial intent for this meeting, right? So we pull aside and we start talking, and she said, I noticed this, 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 and that, and I remember just breaking down crying because I feel like I'm gonna get crushed. I feel like I'm gonna under a rock for, for the most part, right? And I feel like I just gonna get crushed. And 
I kind of release everything and um, one of the huge things that affected me was I was sacrificing time with my family, right? I would have a backyard non-stop, Sunday to Sunday, find any excuse just for stay, right? Because I'm in a survival mode of if I not work and if I not say I do something, then, you know, I know to get a lover, I know to get a validation. So I would have sacrificed a lot of time with my family at that time, and one of the things she said to me was, you have to make time for family, right? And I remember having a couple different conversations um, after that, like this same conversation, one at Miss Lisa, I think one at Jeremiah, and I think about one at another guy named Shane, right? And I remember going through it and I said, um, God, if this is what you have for me, because I'm gonna move towards the calling, if this is what you have for me, then I don't want it, right? And we start work through the issues, start work through the depression, and I said, okay, well, I'll be obedient and I'll take a step forward in this, right? And me going forward and taking a step in this, it never would have turned, it turned out to look opposite from what I ever imagined it would look like, right? And so, if you guys have a Bible today, we're in Exodus chapter three, and we'll be looking at Moses, right? A part of Moses' story. We're gonna recap from chapter one to chapter two, and then we'll, you know, get to work out in chapter three. The reason, and the reason I share that part of my story with you guys is because um, I feel like I see the same thing in a, the walk that Moses had that you know I had and I went through. And I see that same thing. So, recapping, if one of the guys that are uh, uh, Exodus chapter 3, recapping, right, this is how it happened. So, at the end of Genesis, Joseph died. Joseph died, Joseph told the Israelites, God will bring someone up that, are gonna, that is going to free you and take you into the promised land flowing with milk and honey. Joseph died, and a new king came up in Egypt. This king knew nothing of Joseph. Right? So he chose not to honor anything of Joseph, which was the Israelite people in Egypt at that time. And so he, one day he took a look around and he said, man, the Israelites, they grow so much, right? Then they multiply. And he, grew, he began growing fearful. And the first thing he did when he began growing fearful was he said, you know, if one day the enemy, or enemies choose to attack us, the Israelites will turn against us and join them and we'll be overthrown and overpowered, right? Because the, the Israelites were so great in numbers. Um, so he said, we can't have that happen any at all. So what we are do is we are oppress them and we are enslave them, we are make them a slave. And that backfire, right? Because the more he would choose to oppress them, the more the Israelites would grow. And if we even think about it, that's just, that just goes to show that no plans that the Lord has over your life or no calling that the plan or no calling that the Lord has over your life, right? The enemy or man can stop. Because even though they may get so much oppression, they still grow, right? And so after that, after that he said, Well, since the oppression isn't working, right, and they're still growing, then this is what we're gonna do. And he he put out this decree that all male being born were supposed to be killed. 
And at first, he tried to get the midwives to do it, and that didn't work out. He figured that because in that time, when someone was going to war or when someone was going to battle, there would be the men that would go into battle. So he figured I'm making them weak by eliminating the men coming up. And so he tried to get the midwives to do it. And when he tried to get the midwife to do it, they wouldn't do it. And if you guys do your research for yourself and you can look it up, this was known to be one of the most cruel times um, in Egypt at that time, right? Under his rule, it was, it was dark. It was a cruel period of time because there would be a lot of killing, beheading, this, that, that, and the next. It was just a gruesome time. And so, because the midwives wouldn't do it, right? At that time, Moses' mom and dad had Moses. In the midst of this cruelty, the Lord brought forth deliverance, right? Which is Moses. Moses was born in the midst of this time. And when Moses was born, because this decree was still in effect, his mom had to hide him for three months. Now, I think about this, and we often read this story. We often read this story, and we look at it as just, you know, black ink on a white page, or we even look at it as um, fictional, right? But like the picture part I show now with my lead nephew, I remember one day, I got one day to watch him, right? And I don't know about you, but if you watch a newborn baby, like, I don't know how the lady didn't do it, oh no, amazing, and shout on out for that, but I remember I had one day with him, right? And I was doing amazing. I gave him a shower, you know, get the man ready. I put on the powder, and I LeBron James with the powder. I splashed the powder in the air because I was just killing it. And then, come time, he got asleep. And every time I would go to put him down, screaming and screaming and screaming. And it was hot, like how yesterday, hot, like hotter than that. And so I end up have to just sit down on the sofa and hold her right on my chest, neck he sleep. And he detect all the fun, and I just say, sweat hard. And I remember my sister, I remember my sister come home, and I tell her, hi, you pick me, girl. Because I was just, I was over it. So if you think about this, right, Moses' mom had to, had, had to hide him for three months, right? And it came to the point that she couldn't hide him anymore. The reason why I stress upon this, upon this piece of information, right, is because a lot of the time we look at the story um, of Moses and how God put the calling on his life, and we often think this all started with Moses, when in reality, the calling on Moses' life didn't start with Moses. The, mo the calling on Moses' life started with his mom, because his mom was the one that that in the midst of that cruelty, still chose to have him and still chose to have so much faith to hide him for those three months and then come up with a plan for him to go on and you know, have him live to where he got. So, um, yeah, we often look at it like, you know, this time all Moses, but we also have to look at, you know, how much faith his mom had in that situation. So she couldn't hide him for, she couldn't hide him anymore, and so she decided, um, she went and she got a papyrus basket. I don't know if I had to pronounce that right, but in other time, papyrus was what was equivalent to their paper, 
that was something that they would write on, right? It would be, in a, this day, it would be equivalent to like a Bristol board, almost. And so she got the papyrus basket, wrapped Moses, uh, wrapped Moses up, and she coated the basket with tar, right? Now, if you think about it, she may do that so that Moses never bubble. She may make it waterproof, right? She coated with, with tar, and she went down to the river, and she put Moses on the bank of the river, right, in the midst of the reeds. So she kind of, you know, hook up Moses. She get this whole plan, and she said, well, I left Moses there, right? And she told Moses' sister, stay off at a distance and watch, see what happened. And Pharaoh's daughter was walking on the bank of the river, and she just so happened to pick Moses up. Now she picked Moses up, and she needed, she needed someone to raise Moses, right? So she went back. She was looking for a woman, and Moses' own ma ended up to raise Moses until Moses was of age, and then he went into Pharaoh's house. So when he went into Pharaoh's house, this is where the whole situation happened, where uh, that passion got stirred up inside of him, and that's where we first saw the inkling, if you would call it, of Moses' calling to free the, the Israelite people is because Moses got angry when he saw um, the Egyptian guard beating the Israelites, and he ended up killing one of, he ended up killing the guard, and he ended up fleeing to Midian, right? When he fled to Midian, this is where he met Jethro, his father-in-law, and then he ended up getting married, and he had a son, and this is where we are now in chapter 3, right? So I'll read for you, we'll start, and we're going from verse 1 to verse 4, and then we're going on from there. So it says, now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to, he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in, in flames on fire from within a bush. Moses saw, Moses saw that, that though the bush was on fire, the bush did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Now, I don't know about Uno, but if a bush left on fire and another burn, I gone. <laughs> Long time, right? Uh, we had a discussion. We were going over some medical stuff this week, right? And you know, they found out that don't be in front of me if we're running for, away from a situation, because I will trip you, right? And I will run over you and be gone. So, but Moses, Moses decided that he going up to this uh, burning bush, right? And the Lord called out to him. Now, when Moses fled, it was believed that he was 40 years old at the time. And this first uh, instance with the burning bush happened 40 years after, right? So he was about 80 years old at that time. And if we think about it, this is towards the end of the 430 years because this, was, this began the process of him freeing the Israelites out of Egypt, right? They don't know one research, but it's believed that, you know, they were there for 200 and they were enslaved for 230, you know? A lot of speculations, but you can do your own research on that. But it took a whole process to get 
from him being born and his mom having to defeat to where we are now in the story. And if we look at it, for you guys, you know, your grandkids, your kids, whatever, I often think about, you know, how it kind of play out for me. Because growing up, I never really had a heart for people or PG in a whole, because my older brother, our part I show, um, because of his family name, he got into a lot of drama with police and stuff, and to the point that they, they end up beating him badly that we, we couldn't even recognize him, right? He got like a, a fractured rib and a whole thing. And so growing up, I never really had a heart for this town or the people because I got hurt so much by the people, right? And so, <clears throat> and so it took a process for me, right? And my mom was really the one with the heart for people and to help people, right? In the same way that Moses' uh, Moses' mom had that faith, I believe she had that faith, and she was the one that, you know, through praying for us, uh, all of us, I won't just say me, right? That's how the Lord, you know, kind of captured my heart, and I am where I am today. Um, so verse 5 to verse 10, let me go to verse 5 to verse 10. It says, do not come any closer. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandal, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God, your father, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out, because, they're slave, because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptian, to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevizites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. Like what I expressed to you guys earlier, right? I never know the Lord cared about what I cared about. In this instance, we saw plainly the Lord express his concern for his people. It's crazy, right, if you think about the fact that the Lord cares about what we cared about, about what we care about. He hears our suffering, he hears our cries. But more than that, he brings a solution immediately to the situation at hand. It's interesting because every time I think about it or every time I even read this passage to myself, I look at it as how crazy it is that we never give God the benefit of the doubt. We always look at plan A, B, C, D, and we take a whole different route before we even sit down and just ask God, what's your solution for the problem? Or even just trusting him to be more than enough in the situation, we decide to take the opposite route. He personally showed up in this situation, and he said, I've seen the oppression of my people. We see it here in the passage, right? Verse 8, we'll go read it again. It said, so I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptian. He personally came down. But oftentimes we look at it because we think that our situation is so small or our problems are so small, we look at it as 
the Lord won't come down for me or the Lord doesn't care about my situation or care about my problems. The enemy rob us of so much faith, so much joy and uh, amazing testimony by just instilling a little bit of doubt. The enemy often robs us of that. Right? And it creates, if you just look at it, that as soon as he saw that seed adult, we're mine, go. Gone with it. But we see that in verse 10, the Lord immediately brings a solution for Moses. Right? They have a problem at hand. This is the solution. And he says in, it says in verse 10, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, to bring my people, the Israelite people, out of Egypt. Immediately he gave the solution. For most of us, and even for me at one point, this was hard. Being the solution, or even, you know, thinking of the idea that I was the solution to the problem was hard. Because, please understand what I'm saying when I'm saying this, right? Most of the time when we look at a solution or a problem or something that's bugging us or is on our mind constantly, that often means that you're supposed to do something about it, right? And what I mean by you being the solution to the problem is letting the Lord equip you to be the solution for the problem. I'm not telling you you're going to have all the answers, you're going to have all the finance, you're going to have whatever it takes to fix the entire situation. No. I'm saying ask for the steps, let him equip you, and then you go for it from there. One of my favorite classes from KSSM um, that we watch is from Banning, right? I don't even, you know, what a Banning first name? I, I don't know his first name. Banning? What are his last name? Okay. Banning. From Jesus, the Jesus culture? From Jesus culture, right? He's the teacher of the class. I didn't know Banning was his first name. That stunned me for a little bit. Excuse me. <laughs> so, one of my favorite classes from KSSM is one that he teaches. And basically, he shares in the class, build the wall in front of you. Build your section of the wall. And when I say letting the Lord equip you to be the solution for the problem, I'm talking about building the wall in front of you. Now, what that means is that you're equipped to build your portion of the wall. But oftentimes, our eyes stray, and we want to go build somebody else's portion of the wall instead of focusing on what's in front of us. Now, letting the Lord equip you to be the solution for the problem is building your portion of the wall and focusing on what is in front of you, all right? Quick uh, example, and I'm not saying this happened like this, or I'm not saying this is something that should be taken like this, right? But just a quick example is looking at maybe they have a lack of men in the church, right? And the Lord lays that on your heart. So the Lord says to you, okay, go to Abana Brothers. You go to Abana Brothers, the Lord wrecks you, okay, you... You come back, the Lord tells you, go grab a leader. Let that leader disciple you. That leader disciples you. About a year down the road, you're on fire. The Lord says, okay, don't stop being discipled by that leader. You go grab someone else and you disciple that person. You disciple that person. Another year down the road, that person is on fire. They go grab someone who doesn't know the Lord. 
disciples that person, you keep discipling them, you go get another person. I realize this sounds like a pyramid scheme, but just go with that, what I say, right? You disciple another person, and after a couple of years, boom, an explosion of men that's on fire in the church and just doing amazing things, changing the nation that they're in. It's as simple as that, just asking for the step that you're supposed to take forward and then letting the Lord equip you for that. Verse 11 to verse 12, right? We're just going up to verse 12. And you know if I'm way ahead of my time or not, but we're around with it. <laughs> um, verse 11 says, But Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is that it is I who have sent you. When you, have, when, you have brought the people out of, when you have brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God immediately brings a solution, shares what the solution is to Moses, and instantly doubt creeps in. The reason why I said being the solution to the problem is going to be challenging is because right as we see it, Instantly, the, the enemy saw in that seed at all. Remember, Moses, the passion and, and the fire had already been stirred up in Moses from the beginning. The whole killing the guard situation, that was the beginning of, of the passion and, and the calling being stirred up with him. I'm not saying that God did that whole situation, but you could have seen this was where it was heading. And so instantly, the, the, uh, the doubt kick in. And when that doubt kick in, right, Moses instantly say, well, I can't go. It can't be me. Instantly turn, instantly turn, right, and say, it can't be me that Wapa you want to send. Because just like when the Lord placed the calling over our life, or when even in a situation when he said to me that I would... Uh, father and raise up the next generation, there was so much doubt in me that that could never be me, right? Because I feel like I never equipped for that. But letting him equip you is like we see right here in verse, uh, verse 12 where he says, I will be with you. I will go with you. Letting him equip you is knowing that the Lord is going to be with you in the situation and he's going to go with you. He'll never leave you out to hang and to dry. Right? He never hold a carrot out on a string and, and let you run without never catching it. No, that's not our God. Right? So, I'll close off with this because we have a video on, on um, something else just to watch uh, before we end. But for me, I never really thought my calling would be what it, what it is today. I for sure thought it would be a pastor. I for sure thought I would be stuck in a church building and preaching to people every Sunday, right? But the Lord gave me such a heart and such a passion to see the next generation be fathered and raised up, right? Not only in PG, but in Belize in a whole. And I never would have thought it would have ended up like this. You have the picture? Right? This eventually is what it ended up like. Right? And it looked crazy. 
And I'm not saying that all of them in that picture, they walk with God. That's not what I'm saying. There's like a solid handful of them apart. They pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. But I have such a passion to see them change their life, and I have such a passion to see them take ownership of their town and their nation. And that, that never starts with me. I believe strongly that that starts with my mom, right? And I thank God for that. But I never dream that that's what it would look like. Like I tell you, I thank God because I don't like long pants. I want the front and cross stiff, right? But, um, but that's what it turned out to be. And I'll just close off with this. God, he's more than enough for any situation, any problem, any doubt that we have in our life. And my challenge to you guys this week is that whatever the calling is on your life, I'm just echoing something to you guys. Most of we already know what it is, and it's already been prompted on our heart. If you feel like maybe you're too old for it, have the faith to keep watering the seed, and maybe it come true in your grandkids, maybe it come true in our dear kids. You never know how it come true. Because it not happened through Moses, ma, but it happened through Moses. Have the faith to keep watering the seed. You may never see it bloom, but trust the Lord. Have faith that it come true. Right? My challenge to you this week is, if you already know what that calling is, if you already know um, how you're supposed to move, ask the Lord for the steps to take towards that. And it might be the tiniest thing, but take the step and see how he just rocks you and wrecks you. It's amazing, right? When we step into that fullness of, of our calling and, and the plans and the purpose the Lord has for our life. This last, uh, not a play it yet, Woody, but this last video part, we just uh, watch and then um, I'll come back out and close in, um, in prayer, is what I believe just stepping into the fullness kind of look like. Because in this video, as Ono guys I say, um, I've been watching this video nonstop for like a couple weeks, just to get stirred up before we go out on this rooftop, right? But in this video, as Ono guys will say, the people then just set uh, fire and then they know that God have this plan and this purpose for their life, but they also know that God have a plan and a purpose for the people's life out there as well. And they're going out and they're calling that out in people. They're just sharing the amazing love of God, right? So I'll play the video and then um, I'll come back up and close out. Go ahead, Woody. You good? Yeah. All right. That's amazing, right? I believe that we're in such a crucial time it was so easy a couple of years back to be the light and be just out and ministering to people and do that kind of stuff. It was easy, so easy a couple of years ago. We could even go into the schools. We could even, you know, do stuff like that. Now you can't even go into the schools, right? We're in such a crucial time, I believe, that it's very important that you know that calling that the Lord has placed on your life, but it's also very important that you step into it because we can't afford for you to not step into it. You see what, they, what they're doing on that video? That's what the Lord has called them to do. 
And there's, a lot of, there's people getting healed, there's people getting touched by the hand of the Lord because they're obedient and they're stepping into the Excuse me. I love the choke now. Amen. They're stepping into the calling that he's placed on their life. Right? And I feel like that's just what the Lord wanted me to share with you guys today. So um, I'm just going to close in prayer, and then Miss Liz is going to come up and do announcements. But, um, yeah. Lord God, I just thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, Father God. We ask that you would be with everyone here, Lord Jesus. We ask that as they seek you this week, Father God, that um, you would just pour out on them, Lord Jesus. Whatever it is that they're battling with, Father God, whatever it is that they're pushing back, Father God, that you are showing, that you're showing them or you're prompting on their heart, Lord Jesus, may they just have the boldness and the courage to step in. And so we just thank you for this time. Bless everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen.